You're listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is season two. And the theme this month is the journey of becoming an entrepreneur. Today, I'm joined by Alfred Burgesson, a social entrepreneur whose unique talents include convening leaders and an ability to launch grassroots movements while utilizing digital tools and technology platforms for good. Most recently, he supported the African-Canadian Senate Group and the office of Senator Colin Deacon as a project lead, gathering data and insights on the current state of Black entrepreneurs and business owners in Canada. He is currently the founder and CEO of The Tribe Network, a social enterprise building Canada's BIPOC entrepreneurship and innovation hub. The Tribe Network is on a mission to improve the well-being of Black, Indigenous, and people of color through innovation and entrepreneurship. Alfred, welcome to the show. I'm happy to welcome you to the Onside Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm a, I'm a fan of this podcast. Some great people have come on before me, so I'm, I feel like I've got some shoes to fill here joining you. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. So gave a little background about you and uh, shared some of your accomplishments and things like that. But uh, as always, we like to warm things up on our podcast and uh, hoping that you can share a little bit about yourself. I actually remember the first time that I got to have a conversation with you. We had a walk in the woods and I didn't get to ask you any questions. You just had to tell me all about yourself. So I'm just going to pretend we're doing that now. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. It was at Windhorse. It was at Windhorse. Got to give Windhorse a shout out. Yeah. Beautiful place. Yeah. It was a warm, <laughs> sunny day and it was the first time we met. So that was really great. So for our listeners who do not uh, know your story, who is Alfred? What are you about? Great question. I'm still discovering who I am, that's for sure. But I'm 25 years old. My journey began in Africa, in West Africa. So I was born in Ghana mm-hmm. and uh, grew up in Ghana until I was six years old. And then my parents decided to move our family to Canada, mm-hmm. not just to Canada, but to Nova Scotia and to Cape Breton and to Port Hawkesbury. Oh, <laughs> I did not know that so part. So okay. rural, you know, rural Nova Scotia, Port Hawkesbury is where we landed, and that's because my dad was an engineer. Okay. And he was a professor at the NSCC Nautical School. Oh, uh, great location. In, in Port Hawkesbury. Yeah, impressive so, place. Yeah. Um, so Port Hawkesbury is where, where we landed and grew up there, lived there for about 10 years until I came to Halifax in mm-hmm. high school. And when I came to Halifax, I went to the grammar school. And you know, I was a basketball player growing up, and I thought I thought I was going to go to the NBA, and that yeah, was my goal. You yeah. know, like that was my goal. Was, <laughs> go, go all the, the way. Go all the way. But yeah, I, I played basketball competitively growing up, locally with basketball Nova Scotia, was ranked at one point top fifty in Canada. Oh right. And then yeah, I came to the grammar school because they had a really great basketball coach and basketball program, but also academic wise, really great school for academics as well. So. It was an easier sell to my parents than going to New Jersey or something <laughs> uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh, um, but growing up, basketball sports were a huge part of, of my life. And when I went to grammar, I, you know, I was a player and I was a coach at the same time. I was coaching the junior high teams, and grammar really sort of introduced me to entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, the junior achievement after school program right. called the company program. Right. That was when I got my first taste into entrepreneurship and. It was just like, okay, this is like my language. It was weird. Mm-hmm. It was just like this moment of like, this is what I want to do. Uh-huh. And it was really interesting because the peers that I was with were all looking at me like, 
asking questions to, mm-hmm. as if I had the answers. You know what I mean? It's like Alfred knows, and it's yeah. like this is my first time in this sort of environment. But yeah. I could tell that I had the ability to sort of to ideate mm-hmm. and to also think about connecting ideas to real things that were happening or people that could achieve it, yeah. that could help implement it. So from a young age, I realized that you know I had some sort of talent mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to take ideas into action and uh-huh. and yeah you know growing up I went off to St. Mary's to play basketball there for a year I quit after my first year to start my first business uh-huh. um, in digital media okay how uh, what did your parents think about that Oof. <laughs> I mean quitting basketball wasn't such a big issue for them I mm-hmm. think when I decided to take a break from school oh okay okay that was the problem <laughs> when I decided to take a break from university that's when I could uh, they were unsure of what is Alfred doing, okay. right? But at that point, I had the so when I started my digital media company, I would walk door to door businesses in Halifax, and mm-hmm. I would show them Facebook and Instagram, and I would say, you know, I don't see your business on here. Mm-hmm. Do you know that if you market your product on mm-hmm. here, people anywhere in Canada around the world can actually purchase it? Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of that, and essentially created a small team of photographers, videographers, graphic designers young people in the city that were talented but didn't really have an avenue to make money through mm. that skill set that they had. And so right. I would I would go get business and mm-hmm. we would come together and then we would execute mm-hmm. on actually, you know, developing campaigns and and content for our clients. And during that time I came across the Assembly of First Nations okay. through another client. And so this is during my second, third year university mm-hmm. and the Assembly of First Nations approached me and said they needed some support for their chiefs in Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, and then you know the chiefs also in Ottawa oh, wow, could okay. use my support in amplifying some their of those, voices. Yeah. amplifying their voices, their projects, et cetera. And so you know, in third year university, I have the option to either go to poli-sci and mm-hmm. entrepreneurship mm-hmm. classes <laughs> or to get on a plane, go to Ottawa, and sit in a room where chiefs and ministers are negotiating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to yeah. me, that was a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. going to Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, it's like uh, I can learn about poli-sci, or I could, like, actually be living it. Exactly. And be part of it. Oh, exactly. That's really exactly. interesting. And so that was a key moment for me in taking a step and learning a lot more about Canadian culture, Canadian history, Indigenous rights and that also definitely played a a key role in i think forming who i am today oh interesting that is a brave step we've we've had a couple other folks who uh came to that point where they had to make a a decision like that stay on the path that has been charted out for you or find another path Mm -hmm. you know i think uh, we had saeed el darahali he's Mm -hmm. the ceo for simply cast i think he had that moment too as a young man thinking about what else can i do with the skills that i have because there's a there's a path that's laid out and there's the path less taken. Yeah. So you mentioned your family and that families from Ghana that came to Port Hawkesbury, rural Nova Scotia. Uh, the NSCC Nautical Institute is an amazing place. And you have this journey. Were there any, you know, any barriers, you know, coming from Ghana and being from someplace, you know, different and, and being in Canada? Were there any barriers that your family or you guys faced as new immigrants? Yeah, I was six years old. So I think at that age, I don't think I was really, let's say, aware of barriers like mm-hmm. the way my parents were or my, my older siblings were. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned my dad was a professor at NSCC, but before he became a professor, he actually had to 
be a student at NSEC. Oh, okay. Right? So he had a career of 20 plus years mm-hmm. as an engineer working globally, decides to move his family to Canada, and it's like, nope, you got to start all over again. Right. He had to get recertified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, both my parents had to go through that, um, going from students. And, you know, with my dad, they knew he was, he had the ability, like, Literally the year after he graduated, they made him a professor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're like, thank you very much for being the top student. Let's just move ahead here. Exactly. So I think that was frustrating for them to come here and to have to, to start from the bottom again. And, you know, I think in Port Hawkesbury, Port Hawkesbury is not a very diverse place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's getting more diverse now because mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. a lot more immigrant students going to NSCC and CBU. But in 2003, there are two black families in the town. Okay. 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 <laughs> and so, I mean, I think there was there was a lot of like, just societally, you could tell that you were different. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You never fit in into mm-hmm. a place like that. And so, I think growing up, perhaps, I think my parents and my older siblings, and to some degree myself too, just challenged a little bit with getting along with others or mm-hmm. feeling like you belong, feeling like you fit in. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's kind of been a thread for me since Port Hawkesbury is like, how do I create my community? You know what I mean? Like, how do I find my tribe? Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. it's kind of been like this constant sort of um, push to find a tribe mm-hmm. and to create a tribe. Mm-hmm. But certainly, yeah, being an immigrant, you know, in Port Hawkesbury and in, in Canada, it was not easy. My parents ended up having to get a divorce because, you know, mm. things were just tough. Things yeah. were tough financially. Things were tough. Yeah. And I think my dad had a lot of felt a lot of pressure mm. to succeed. And so it is a tough experience. And, I, and I'm not sure I can speak to it as well as my parents could probably give you details <laughs> as yeah, what yeah, their, yeah. you know, landing experience was like. As a kid, I think some of that might have been uh, kept away from me. Mm. But I certainly experienced whether it was racism in school or people just being rude. Like, I, I definitely experienced that yeah. growing up. And, or just and, ignorant. Or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I appreciate you sharing that uh, as well. I'm an immigrant myself and a new Canadian. I'm very excited about this. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. I got my, like, official welcome certificate or, I don't know, it has a like, little <laughs> barcode on it. And I'm like, I better not lose this. <laughs> like, go back. <laughs> But uh, it's always an interesting journey. And even if uh, your cultures are very similar, it's a big transition moving from one culture to another and being in a place where you're uh, not in the majority and mm-hmm. trying to fit in. And I imagine reskilling and getting recertified. Definitely uh, heard of other journeys like that's really tough. Yeah. So back to the thinking about our journey on becoming an entrepreneur. It was really interesting you were mentioning kind of this opportunity that you had to go to Ottawa and work with your business. Was, was that the thing that that first sort of digital media company and engagement with mm-hmm. uh, diverse people and trying to amplify other voices? Was that the thing that kind of started to inspire you to want to continue to go on this journey of being an entrepreneur or what was your inspiration? Yeah. I mean, in the early days, I had no idea what I was doing. All right. <laughs> I was just like... I wanted to pursue this idea of getting more businesses online using social media and selling their product online. It was just like, it just made sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was like, mm-hmm. why are they not doing this? Mm-hmm. And we've got a bunch of young people that can create content. Let's sort of make that connection where young people can create content for businesses. But I think when I really, when I started to realize that this would be 
like was a viable option for me mm -hmm. was when you know we started to get some big clients and you know here I am now paying my peers mm -hmm. like thousands of dollars for mm -hmm. work that they're doing and it was like wow like it felt good to actually be able to provide yeah. a peer enough money that they could afford a better camera yeah. or you know and you're like we're making money we're making money <laughs> we're, making, we're, we're, making we're being money. successful yeah. yeah and one of the clients that we had that made me realize okay there's something going there's something here was mm -hmm. when uh Hmm. Uh, we got a contract with NBA Canada back in the day, wow. and and that was when I was like, oh wow! So I just quit basketball after basketball mm -hmm. being my love, <laughs> right? And but at the same time, it's like, oh, I can still be around the game. I can still work mm -hmm. in the game, but from a different, not as a player, but you know what I mean, yeah. as a director, as a producer, as yeah. And so that was a really interesting moment for me, where I was like, oh, okay, like business is not. It's not boring. It, you know what I mean? Like, I can do the things I love mm. via business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, and shout out to Miriam Zittner. She was the uh, the one who connected us with NBA Canada oh, at that nice, time. Oh, um, nice, nice, nice. But yeah, I think those early days of like having big clients like that mm -hmm. and and, ha and seeing how like excited my peers were to like get a contract mm -hmm. and to be able to do what they mm -hmm. just enjoy doing and earn money. Yeah. That's when I started to realize like, okay, there's there's something here. And I also realized that from the beginning, it wasn't just like a I wanna get rich sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It was just like, how do you create a collective? Like how do you create this sort of community type feel to mm -hmm. the venture, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And so I remember reading a lot of Stanford social review mm. pages and articles around social entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and and so for me I think from the beginning I've always been fascinated by like mm -hmm. a different way of business or mm -hmm. a social way of business mm -hmm. and that's something that has definitely stuck ever since you know JA yeah for example well there's definitely this um, in the last several years I think social purpose businesses social enterprises has, has always kind of been there but there seems to be more of a willingness from the mainstream or I don't know, the corporate world, maybe like co-opting some of these ideas as well. But I think more and more people are interested in purpose-led businesses, social entrepreneurship. We have all kinds of structures like B Corps and mm -hmm. you know things like that where companies are really trying to assess how value is created. Mm -hmm. You know, how do yeah. we how do we create value beyond just Shareholders, Money. yeah, and shareholders, right? How yeah. do you how do you distribute wealth in such a way that the employees benefit greatly, mm -hmm. and the people you're you're serving also benefit greatly, and you're not necessarily constantly taking, but you're also finding ways to give, yeah, through whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, we probably talked about this before, you know, but on side, one of the things we're focused on is inclusive, innovation-driven entrepreneurship, and we're always thinking about who's benefiting from being involved in innovation and entrepreneurship, who gets to participate, who makes the decisions, who gets to generate wealth from participating in in these kinds of activities. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really important conversation that people are bringing to the forefront and really starting to think about. And uh, I think it's really great that you've like at such a mature age of age 25, <laughs> come, come, come to this a little sooner than maybe some of us around the table. But I, I think that that's really great. And, and I thought it was really interesting you were just mentioning, you know, about 
wanting to bring like-minded or have this community feel around the work that you were doing. And what, maybe can you like touch on that a little bit about if there were some experiences or things that you are trying to do in terms of bringing people together as you develop your businesses or things like that, like maybe, maybe, maybe that's touching a little bit on your values and the things that you're trying to align in your work and in your business. Like what are the things that you're thinking about there? Well, I'll say this, the experience working with the Assembly of First Nations, definitely, you know, I spent a lot of time with indigenous peoples and on reserve and, you know, there's just a way of being that isn't extractive, I guess. There's like, mm-hmm. there's always this sort of sense of like doing things for the greater good. And it's like this reciprocity of like, it doesn't have to be said that like you did this for me. So I'm going to have mm-hmm. to, I'm going to have to do this for you down the line. But it's just like, yeah. this is just the way we are. This is the way it is. You know, we, we support each other. We, we help mm-hmm. each other and we, we create opportunities where many people in the community can benefit, not just a select few or Mm -hmm. those around the table sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I was just, you know, so working with the AFN, you have this sort of experience where the chiefs and some community members that I get to meet are, are almost like sharing an alternative way to how our structures are already set up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was Mm -hmm. like, for me, I was just hearing things positioned in a way that was almost just different from what the norm would be expected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it wasn't to say that, oh, this is a better way, but it was just like, this is our way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is more than one way. Yeah. The the way that you've always done things does not necessarily have to be the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had another guest who uh, talked a little bit about this, you know, on two-eyed seeing and... Uh, looking at the world in a different way. I've, I've been doing some reading and, and things around this, around different ways of knowing and understanding yeah. a problem or trying to come to a solution. And um, I think there's probably more than one way. For and when sure. You, when you step into that, you're like, oh, wait a minute. People are able to move ahead, make decisions, build companies, have products, and it, we don't have to do it the Wolf of Wall Street style. Yeah, <laughs> like we totally. Don't, we don't have to stab people in the back and crush them all the time. <laughs> exactly. And so I tried to be as present as I was in those moments. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like taking notes while I was in commute or anything like that. But there were just things that I picked up about how to ensure that there are either more people at the table, mm-hmm. ensure that when there are people at the table that you truly value everyone's opinion mm-hmm. or and to look at everyone as being a contributor and having something to contribute mm. versus like the CEO or whoever else is like the top dog and the only person who leads the conversation. Mm. It's like, no, everyone is able to lead the conversation, right? Mm. And and so I think those an experience like that definitely influenced me. And so after that experience, I launched HFX Collective. Mm, and so right, HFX right, Collection, yeah. Collective was a remix of my first digital media business. And we went from creating content for companies to essentially consulting with companies and doing community engagement events and supporting them on program design. And so, you know, working with a Crown Corp on how do you get more youth Mm -hmm. engaged in making decisions on potential infrastructure projects? Or how do you ensure that 
black people in Halifax are at the table when we're talking about housing. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, you know, I just, this, this sort of um, sense of inclusivity mm-hmm. was one that I think I picked up in a profound way through the Assembly of First Nations mm-hmm. and through just, you know, the way things were set up and the way things were ran. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was like a huge influence on everything I've done since then, mm-hmm. um, including Tribe. Yeah, well, and we'll we'll touch on that. We will. We will definitely touch on that. <laughs> Do you think? I mean, it's really interesting to hear your reflection on the experiences that you've had and how you've been able to kind of internalize this. And just before the podcast, you were telling me about your early morning walk, where you get to think about things and 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 all of that. In reflecting back on the kind of these like experiences, has any of this kind of changed your priorities around like how you? move ahead. You talked a little bit about um, making sure there's voices that are heard or things like that. But has it changed your priorities um, with regard either to the work that you're doing now or just in your own general life or how you try to move forward? Yeah, I think, you know, in my early days of starting that digital media company and not just knocking on any door Mm -hmm. of a business to say, hey, I want to help you sell your product. Mm -hmm. I think I'm starting to, let's say, yeah, I'm starting to prioritize the people who don't even have a story yet mm. that I can knock on, right? Mm-hmm. I'm prioritizing those who just haven't had the opportunity to start, mm-hmm. to you know, meaningfully build something mm-hmm. and to accelerate something to another level. So I think through the Assembly of First Nations, I, I just started to realize that, you know, there is an equity in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, mm-hmm. and, and in Canada, there is immense inequity that has been for generations. Mm-hmm. And I think the priority has come out to be just like, how can you invite those who aren't at the table or those who aren't able to tap into a trust fund, whatever, to build a business? Like, how can you support those who don't have that mm-hmm. access and those opportunities? How can you support them to start and to to believe in themselves and to mm-hmm. have access to resources, to have access to people who look like them that have mm-hmm. done it, to hear those stories? I think my priority has definitely leaned into like, how do we ensure that those people also have an opportunity mm-hmm. versus the ones who are already doing it and are thriving? Yeah, that there's space. Mm-hmm. I always, someone asked me something about that and I was like, you know, I think it's really important that there's space for whoever wants to step into it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody has to be an entrepreneur yeah. or has to do these things. But if you're interested or even want to check it out, that there's space for you and, yeah. you're, and you're welcome to experience it in your own way. And also, I, I think uh, that it's for you to decide. Mm-hmm what you want to be in that space, uh, that there's more than, as you're kind of saying about the your time with the, uh, the Assembly of First Nations and you know, the things you're picking up there, realizing that there's not just one way to be an entrepreneur, not mm-hmm. one way to step into business, not one, well, there's no, there's definitely more than one way to be a person. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we can like accept the, we can accept the variety of life. As, totally. Uh, but I think, especially in entrepreneurship, you kind of, you look up to the people who've done it mm-hmm. and then you sort of I mean there's a lot of copying right in terms of the culture in entrepreneurship and and in general I feel like folks look up to people but you know I think maybe sometimes we look up to the wrong people mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think that's when I say learning about another way I think there's a bit of that in that there is traditionally in entrepreneurship there's the way things are done where you 
you know, you start a business, you raise money and all that type of stuff. It's like, it doesn't always have to be done that mm-hmm. way, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always have to be for the benefit of shareholders. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of what I'm referring to when I, yeah. when I mentioned that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I'm, there's, there are all these movies or shows that are out now, the WeWork one, yeah. the Uber the what's the other one there's like a whole bunch of these oh, yeah. there's a whole bunch of these about the kind of like silicon valley you know tech entrepreneur yeah. who like goes big and goes hard and crashes hard yeah, oh my god and, uh, <laughs> you know and uh yeah i think that's a really important thing you know and we like we kind of love the drama of that but i think what you're kind of talking about is like sort of disrupting the image or the imagery that we have around us that allows for other folks to step in and you know maybe before that there was something there was something else but i i think they're i think people are pushing for that mm-hmm. i don't know if we're there totally yet but i think we're kind of like on the precipice for sure of people saying yeah i'm kind of tired of the we crash we work you know these people who like rise to the top and crash and burn and yeah. uh you know i mean there's there's a place i mean i'm yeah. not gonna lie i love my uber love it you know <laughs> but we probably need some some other models for this for this moment in time yeah and other examples of more diverse leaders perhaps absolutely right? absolutely mm-hmm. love to see that and and speaking about that uh you are a, a black entrepreneur here in nova scotia you know what what has that been like here in our in our ecosystem you know how do you how do you reflect on uh, mm. being a black entrepreneur that's a great question so there's so many different answers to this um, <laughs> loaded question yeah so i'll start from the perspective as an immigrant black entrepreneur mm-hmm. yeah. because as many of our listeners will know in Nova Scotia there is a historical black community and there, there are One several of the oldest right and mm-hmm. there and there are several different black communities in Nova Scotia and coming to Nova Scotia from Africa I think there's a level of drive my parents instilled in us at an early age to just they definitely educated us on like the world is not fair there was mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. but there was just this like, like the work ethic my parents had mm. was such, like set the standard. <laughs> yeah, they were like, you gotta, you gotta push. They just set the standard. I mean, they left everything in Ghana to come here. So it was just like, there's no plan B, there's no other option than to be successful mm-hmm. and to pursue success and greatness mm-hmm. every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, okay, so in, and in the contrast, I'll say, when it comes to African Nova Scotians and indigenous blacks, mm-hmm. I think there's a level of neglect those communities have had for generations. Mm, definitely. There's a level of trauma that people have. There's a level of distrust that they have in institutions to support them. And so I think, you know, those two comparisons between an, a black immigrant and someone who is black and grew up in Nova Scotia, I think oftentimes when an immigrant lands, it's like, I will do anything to get the job or I will do anything to make sure that this thing that I'm doing succeeds. And I'm not saying that African Nova Scotians don't have that same drive. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that, but I I do believe that there's a level of intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think that trauma hurts people from actually walking into some spaces, all right? And so there's that. And I think as a black immigrant entrepreneur, when I started to walk into some spaces, I knew that I wasn't necessarily 
walking into an, an inclusive space or a space that was very diverse, mm-hmm. but I did it anyway. And mm-hmm. I would hang out and I would you know, see who was in there. I would see what kind of help I could get. Mm-hmm. I could see what's going on. And, but oftentimes I would be the only one, you know, the only one in the space. And I had experiences where you ask someone to support you on, on something and the support given is just, is not perhaps what you might deem as, as valuable or mm. um, supportive, truly supportive versus just doing it so that they can move on to the next thing, right? Yeah. So there's, there's that, but I'll, I'll also say that as someone who went to the grammar school, as someone who has that level of drive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't really let that stuff get to me. You know, (laughs) I don't really let it get to me. And going through grammar, as tough as that was, I was able to create a network and Mm -hmm. and be connected with influential people in in Halifax. Mm -hmm. And I think that alone, like in high school, being able to be in that type of environment Mm -hmm. made me believe that, like, I can be Mm -hmm. I can be someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um. You had to persevere, mm-hmm. you know, through stuff. You just had to, you know, I think you're right. I think there's uh, definitely this uh, intergenerational trauma that holds folks back. And it's really hard to get out of that. I, I think people are trying to make a big move now, like in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. really trying to address this mm-hmm. and reflect on it mm-hmm. and put things in place that says, okay, we we need to we need to take some action here. Yeah, we need to level the playing field. Yeah. We need to support them and their well being first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that means creating environments that they feel safe in. Welcome. Right. Yeah. Um, it means going out of the way to make sure that you get rid of barriers that will allow them to enter the space for whether it's an event or a program that you're hosting in a, yeah. in a specific place. Yeah. So yeah, those are those are some factors I think that touch on the experience of my, you know, a black entrepreneur in this ecosystem. I mean, I never did go to a bank to get mm-hmm. money or mm-hmm. a loan or anything like that, but obviously we know that there are tons of cited reports and I mean, just experiences of black entrepreneurs oh, yeah. seeking capital that are turned down. Yeah. And again- This is well documented. Um, this, this is, is very yeah, well, is not, very uh, well documented. If, if it, it may not have happened to you specifically, but, uh, uh, there's a lot of things that are that are well known, documented, and it, even in like uh, some of our stuff, uh, we have our uh, inclusive innovation monitor. We talk mm-hmm. about some of the indicators around salary discrepancies. Yeah. If you're a black male tech worker, you're on average in Canada making thirteen thousand dollars less than right. you know uh, your your white male counterpart. Right. So uh, there's a lot of facts and figures that are out there, and I think we're kind of at that point where it's it's time to to take some action. Yeah. Um, because the eyes of the world are now are now uh, are now finally open mm-hmm. well I want to thank you for sharing that um, perspective and those insights I've maybe one more little question this is a kind of a onside favorite type of question we like to ask all of our guests kind of you know I, I think well, at some point we'll like rack them all up and like do a little like tally to see which side is winning <laughs> uh, but my question is um, nurture versus nature do you think entrepreneurs are born or do you think they're made? I feel like I'm kind of 50-50 on this one mm. with, uh, with, a, with, it, with our tally. But uh, mm. what, do you, what do you think? Nurture versus nature? I'm leaning towards nurture. Mm-hmm. I do think there, you know, there are certain people that come out as salespeople. You know what yeah. I mean? Just they're like born. five years old. They're yeah, like- <laughs> they're just, you know, there's that. But I do think 
you know, being some of it is also like your the environment that you're in when you're 16, mm-hmm. uh, environment that you're introduced to when you're 16, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, and and I and I like to think it's nurture because I do believe that we can, um, you know, change the way people get access to uh, opportunities. And I think, you know. Entrepreneurship is something we have to introduce at a younger age to people mm-hmm. so that they see it as a viable uh, option. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're hearing with a great resignation right now, and you're seeing so much change in the in the workforce mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people are, are wanting to be entrepreneurs, but perhaps don't have the right tools or are not in the right environments mm-hmm. to be an entrepreneur. And so I think... I like to think that it's nurture because I'm I'm hopeful and optimistic to say that you know we can create environments for entrepreneurs to be made. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or or become entrepreneurial minded or spirit because not everyone's going to start their own business or you know you have people who are the intrapreneurs or yeah. You know things, uh, things like that. Okay, so I'm putting you down for team nurture. <laughs> yeah, I get the tally going. I get the tally going. Well, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming in today and uh, sharing your journey with us. Uh, for folks who want to learn more about you, what you're up to, what's what's the what's the best way they can connect with you, Alfred? You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And of course, if you want to learn more about Tribe Network, you can visit tribenetwork.ca. Okay, that's awesome. And I want to thank all of our listeners today for tuning in to the Onside podcast. You can learn more about Onside and our work uh, around inclusive innovation and entrepreneurship at uh, onsidenow.ca, or you can follow us on LinkedIn as well. And as we come to a close, I'd really like to thank Communities, Culture, and Heritage for your support. We're so grateful for your support in helping us make this podcast. All right, thanks, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Pod Starter production. production.